This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast, a podcast with a worldwide listenership that explores the broad world of preservation from every angle, from drones to mudlarking and everything in between. Now, let's get preserving. This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast. Today, we're excited to be joined again, a repeat guest by James Etherington, who is the director of Kiplin Hall and Gardens in North Yorkshire in the United Kingdom. Um, so we're, we're joined again by one of our friends from across the pond. Um, we've previously talked about Kiplin Hall um, back in episode 155, um, for people who might be interested in going back to that. Um, but they have a pretty fun um, and dare I say kitschy event that's coming up um, that we wanted to talk to them about, which is a very British 1970s Christmas. Um, and so, but before we get we jump into that, for people who maybe didn't listen to the previous episode but want to know a little bit more, let's remind listeners um, a little bit about the story of Kiplin. Where does the name come from? Where was it built? When was it built, I should say, style of architecture. What, what's the story of Kiplin in a nutshell, James? Kiplin has been around for quite some time. It's mentioned in the Doomsday Book from 1060, uh, the 1060s as Chipling, which uh, has over time been corrupted down to Kiplin. Uh, it, the house that stands on the current site was built in 1620s uh, by George Calvert, uh, first Baron Baltimore, who was very important in the founding of Maryland, and that's his kind of claim to fame. It was owned by his family for about 100 years and then has transitioned through various uh, connections, various families, cousins and things, uh, down to uh, the present day. It was handed over to the current charity in the 1970s uh, when the last owner died. Uh, the architecture is Jacobean, uh, so brickwork, uh, towers in the middle, turrets, that kind of thing. Um, but the inside, uh, there's very little of the Jacobean inside left. It's mostly Victorian Georgian uh, at the moment. And it's a fairly large uh, space. Not, We're not talking Downton Abbey huge. There's three floors in total, about a dozen rooms, uh, plus the corridors and serving spaces and about 90 acres of grounds, gardens, woodlands, and a folly. Wow. So it's, uh, it doesn't, you know, it's not Downton Abbey huge. I like the, the scale there, but it, but it, but it's big. Um, and just out of curiosity, I don't, have you ever stayed the night in the house? I've not stayed completely overnight, but we do do ghost hunting events, which last till two or three in the morning. And I have been there until that time and it does get quite dark and a little bit eerie at times. Okay, I was just curious if you'd if you'd slept there. So, Christmas at a historic home either in the UK or even here in, in the States, you know, normally conjures up images of, you know, a roaring Victorian fireplace or, you know, maybe an early 20th century Christmas with, you know, pleasant smells coming from the kitchen. But you're heading back to the 1970s. Um you know, some people look at it fondly, some people not so fondly. Uh, why are you going to the 70s, James? Uh, that is a very good question. Um, to this year is our 50th anniversary of the charity taking over the running of the hall. Uh, Miss Talbot, who was the final older uh, owner of the hall, died in 1971. And we wanted to commemorate her, uh, her passing, but you know, in a positive way, in, uh, in a way that we it was celebrating everything she'd done for us. And, you know, a 50-year anniversary for an organisation is is quite a big deal. So we thought uh, 1970s Christmas would be a perfect way to celebrate that handover from 1971. And 
it's different. I think that's the other major reason for doing it. Uh, as you say, that image of a Dickensian Christmas, you know, of snow and tree, Christmas tree and, uh, you know, the uh, urchins in the street and um, uh, Christmas carol. It's fantastic and it's always very popular. But, you know, metaphorically, I could stand on the, ho- the roof of Kipling and throw a stone and hit half a dozen historic houses doing that kind of Christmas nearby. So we wanted to look at something different, but we also wanted to make sure that what we were doing was that was different was also connected to our story. Uh, and this is a great way to do it. It's uh, an era that, while not familiar to many of our staff, most of whom were born a bit later, is very familiar to a lot of our visitors. Uh, many of them grew up in the 70s and certainly a lot of our volunteers. So it's a great thing for intergenerational learning people can come and say oh i remember that i had one of those i remember waiting for that toy uh, and hoping for it so it's it's an opportunity to do something different and really celebrate an era that we don't perhaps go back to as often right so yeah and i I think it's fascinating and obviously here in the in the states are what we call the national register of historic places you're probably familiar or heard of it which is sort of how we identify what is historic and what isn't um or Maybe that's not the perfect way of putting it, but but what is officially historic according to the this the National Park Service? But um, you know we have a fifty year sort of look back, and so seventy one is fifty years ago, and so um, I think even here we're kind of coming to terms with the fact that the seventies are you know now part of the historic period. But for an American audience, um, let's talk about nineteen seventies Britain. You know, what would we find? Is it similar to the U.S. in the 70s? Because here in, in, you know, I think we think of, you know, plastic shag carpets, big hair, wide lapels, um, you know, fondue pots. Is is that what we would find? It, and and be maybe even bigger than that. What was the national mood in the 70s in, in England? I think we're looking at a very similar kind of cultural experience. I think certainly by the 70s, there's a lot of, Cross, cross uh, cultural breeding across the across the pond there with uh, you know with TVs and uh, TV shows and movies and things. I think there was a lot of uh, and musical taste, but you know you're looking at an era of disco, uh, popular music that we still listen to today. You know you can't go to a wedding without hearing ABBA or uh, bands like Roxy Music, David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust, uh, Jethro Tull, Pink Floyd. Uh, Really, an era of um, big fashion, bright, colourful, silver, sparkly. Um, a lot of uh, English institutions, British institutions, their TV shows like Emmerdale, Rhubarb and Custard, a lot of things that are uniquely UK and are still going, are still fondly remembered. But I think they, that era of design is very recognisable. You can't walk into something that's been designed in the 70s and not know it was designed in the 70s. You know, that plastic kitsch you said earlier is, is the right word. And the fashion, long hair, bell bottoms, wide lapels, maxi dresses, all that kind of thing. Um, very, very noticeable. So in some ways, it's a, a quite positive era, kind of backing off that 60s cr- uh, wave of, of uh, positivity. But in, uh, certainly in the UK, it was also... Um, a time of unrest as well. There was a uh, inflation was high, pay hadn't changed very much. A lot of the kind of in- improvements in life standards from the 60s stalled in the 70s. 
there was a lot of uh, difficulties with the between the unions and the government, uh, trade unions and and whatnot. There was the oil crisis of seventy three, seventy four, and uh, miners' strikes in the early seventies, which led to winters of discontent and even a uh, three-day working week where they restricted how many how long businesses could open to save coal because of minor strikes meant that there wasn't enough on hand so uh, uh you know the 70s is definitely a, a time of popular optimism sci-fi that kind of thing but it's also a, a time that was was hard and in some ways i think we you know we would recognize that duality uh, in, in modern times yeah and and so is it is it a profoundly different place than than 2021 England? Um, yes and no. I mean, in, in there's some things I think we would recognise this idea of not being restricted on what you can do when you could go out, when businesses could open. Obviously, it's the pandemic for us and it was the three-day working week for them. A lot of complicated um, finances, not an easy time for many people. Um, but also, uh, you know, a time of optimism, a time of new... Uh, new music, new experiences, new design, um, really positive, a lot of changing industries um, and ups and downs. I think you could probably argue that our fashion sense has improved since the 1970s, although uh, the generations that follow us in the next 50 years may disagree with us on that. But I think uh, a lot of people would would, uh, put the 70s as a very unique time that they perhaps wouldn't want to revisit. And uh, also the decimalized currency came in in 1971. So we went from pounds, shillings and pence and farthings and tuppences and threepenny bits uh, to the pennies and pounds that we know today and certainly made adding up uh, a lot easier for everyone. And so since you're doing a 71 Christmas, are you are you pre or post uh, decimalization? Can people pay in their uh, their farthings or is that can they bring out some old currency? You will accept it, maybe? If they turn up with it, I'll accept it. That's for sure. Um, where the prices have gone up a little bit since the 1970s. Uh, you know, we're certainly not charging pennies for entrance that we would have back then. Uh, we are we're, uh, we're we're celebrating the whole decade rather than just 71. I think, but uh, we would certainly uh, be happy to celebrate uh, it with a few uh, old uh, old shillings. <laughs> so why don't we take a break here, come back and let's talk about Christmas in the seventies, what you're actually attempting to recreate and, and the experience that people would ex- accept there or experience there, I should say. Um, and you know how other organizations and entities like your own could think about approaching this work. Um, you know, if, if they want to, uh, capture the seventies and we'll do that right here on preserve cast. Hey, it's Nick here. And I want to remind you briefly that your support is what makes this podcast possible. To keep hearing important stories like this one, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and follow along on social media at PreserveCast. You can also continue supporting the podcast with a donation at PreserveCast.org. PreserveCast is sponsored by the 1772 Foundation and powered by Preservation Maryland, a nonprofit organization that believes we all succeed when we all know more about our past. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast. Today, we're joined again and excited to be talking with one of our good friends across the pond, James Etherington, who is the director of uh, Kiplin Hall um, Historic House Museum in the Gardens. And we've been talking all about their work to celebrate and commemorate and, and interpret the 1970s as they approach their 50th anniversary as an organization, as a charity. 
So we were talking about, you know, what England was like in the 70s, but what was a British Christmas like? Was it was it a different experience? And what are you attempting to recreate and capture in your own interpretation? Like if people came and visited, what 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 would they what are they going to experience? What are you trying to capture about what was unique about that? Um, that that Christmas celebration in that time period? Well, of, uh, Christmas is obviously the big celebration for uh, the UK. We don't have Thanksgiving, so and when Halloween has only really been a big celebration for us in the last 10, 15 years. So Christmas is the big winter celebration. It's where the family get together. And I think a lot of elements that you'll see uh, would be very familiar to to a modern, you know, someone who who wasn't born back then. You know, it's a, it's a very family kind of thing, presents, uh, special foods, uh, obviously a very different type of special food than we would go through for today, but there's still the turkey and the trimmings as the main dish, but pineapple upside down cake, prawn cocktail was, you know, the big new thing, garlic kievs, all that kind of stuff was very 70s. And we will be recreating some of that in our tea room. Uh, the uh, team have been breaking out the old recipe books. I don't think we're going to use quite as much lard in the cooking as they did back then. Um, but we're... Um, we're trying to capture the the similarity of that family intimate cozy Christmas, but also the difference in in design aesthetic really. So it's a a bit of a mix. There's a, a homemade element to it. So there's still a lot of crip paper decorations, paper chains, stuff that people would have made together. Kids would have prepared in advance. Um, we've been doing a lot of macrame, which is decorative string tying, and we've got a huge display up our main staircase of macrame baubles and macrame is very on on trend at the moment i'm i'm informed uh it's a made, made a comeback as these things do uh so a lot of people will uh, will recognize that and um then there's also the more garish elements so disco balls we can have a, a display outside in the garden and a trail around with disco balls for, for the kids to, to search out uh silver tin foil uh real sparkle, real uh, garish kitsch kind of approach. And that's probably the biggest difference. I think we're probably slightly toned down now. Um, but it's also an opportunity for us to celebrate our volunteers. We call them the fifth family of Kipling because there were four historic families who owned, uh, or family names who owned it. But the volunteers are really our fifth family who help us look after it. And they've really contributed to this. They've... Uh, brought in old pictures they brought in decorations they brought in all sorts of props that you'll see around the house so when you go around you'll see a record player that's been donated with 70s records that have been lent to us lots of photos uh, we've been playing a bit of a game in the office trying to uh, guess which volunteer it is in the 70s photos some of them have the best mullets you've ever seen it's really amazing uh, and we've managed to theme each room so we've got getting ready for Christmas, Christmas dinner, families opening presents under the tree, uh, teenagers' bedroom with lots of posters of pop and rock stars and disco, and uh, a bit of everything, really. So I think you would get that general feeling of family and togetherness and specialness, but with that overlay of something both homemade and over the top at the same time. So there's obviously some silliness, some uh, 1970s cheese and all of this, uh, maybe a fondue pot somewhere in there. That's I always think of that in the 70s. But is there anything more serious that you're trying to convey, interpret? I mean, you know, like, are, are there 
you know, uh, the 70s, as you said, is a time of, you know, in high inflation. It's also, we didn't get into it, but it's the time of the troubles in, in Northern Ireland kind of taking hold. And um, so there's a lot of really sort of serious big picture stories happening there. Is that, are you going to get into any of that? Or is this, is it, you know, because I ask not because I'm curious, you know, curious what you're going to do, but also for people listening who run a historic house museum or a historical society and are thinking about, you know, tackling the 70s. Do you do you balance it both? What What is the thought with that? We we did think about this and, and Christmas is obviously a time for celebration, but we thought you it's easier or perhaps easier to better to celebrate when you also recognize that there were negative things that you know you were getting away from that perhaps christmas was a break from the difficulties so we are going to have rooms and areas in the building that does recognize that while the 70s was this glamorous kitsch time there was also a lot of socioeconomic political unrest so we do have um our volunteers have done some picket signs from the, the uh, re- recreating the miners strike i had a bit of a shock one of the staff sent me a picture of the uh, the volunteers holding picket signs i thought they were all going on strike gave me a bit of a, a bit of a turn for a moment before i realized what they were uh we've got some videos provided to us by the Yorkshire film and northeast film archives uh, kind of you know the newsreel footage of the time showing the the less positive signs and uh, bin bags piling up uh, to recognize you know the fact that a lot of services were shut down and you know bins weren't being collected all the time so i think it's important for us as an organization it's very easy to to recognize the celebration and to celebrate the good stuff but it's even better to recognize that the good stuff was good because there were other things going on around it. Yeah, I think I, I think it's you know I think everybody's kind of coming to terms with that that need for balance and interpretation, and it's it's interesting to hear how you're balancing it in the UK because obviously there's different stories and different um, issues to balance out. But I, I think it's just fascinating. I think there's a lot um, to unpack here, particularly as people start thinking about the 70s as a period to interpret. So I'm curious. Uh, you know, we're recording this in November, right before um, we we hit the American Thanksgiving next week. Um, have Have you opened up yet for your for your very seventies Christmas? The response to it. What are you hearing so far? Um, and then maybe we'll talk about where you're headed next year. Um, we haven't opened yet. We're due to open um, in a week's time. So. Some of the response we're waiting to see. Uh, we're hoping that it'll be positive, but we have had a lot of good feedback from our uh, promotional campaigns. And it was an interesting experience for the volunteers. I think, you know, when you talked about earlier the idea that Christmas is that Dickensian Victorian Christmas, I think we all had a very fixed idea. And that's certainly in the past when Kipling has done Christmas, it has been that approach. So this was quite a widely different. And there was there was some raised eyebrows um i think there were some muttered comments about um crazy people and their um newfangled ideas but i think they've come around to it quite a lot um as we've got close to it as we've started bringing things in and as they've seen that yes it is an unusual thing to take a house you know when most things are well over 100 years old and slap 50 years worth of glitter and decoration on top of it but actually that uh, recognition that actually oh I had one of those you know I uh, we used to have those oh we used to do that when I was a kid and things it's really uh, excited uh, a lot of the volunteers although 
a lot of them perhaps don't, well, no one wants to admit that their history is in a museum now, you know, it's terrible when you go and you see things that you use as a kid being treated with the reverence of a historic object because you imagine museums show things from hundreds of years ago. So, yeah, and well, I was going to say that that's a challenge too, even here in the States, when we start talking about preserving architecture of the 1960s and 70s in particular, is that people sort of have this reaction of that's not historic because I remember it. Um, and so it can kind of go both ways. You can either feel like, oh, no, I'm old, or you can be like, well, no, that's not historic. And so, you know, our brutalist architecture of the nineteen late 1960s, early 1970s, international style, things like that, um, there's sort of a strong reaction in some ways against preserving some of that. So I, I think the work that you're doing is important because it, it, it suggests that, yeah, we, we too are a part of history. And nostalgia is a, is, can be a powerful um, connection, can be a powerful drug uh, for connecting people to, to history and kind of a, a gateway to, um, to, the, to the broader Kiplin story. So I, I do think that that's really interesting. I'm curious, where are you headed next year? Are you, are you going back to Dickensian, Jacobian, or are you uh, going to a, a totally tubular 1980s Christmas? <laughs> um the answer to that is actually we don't know at the moment we do have a number of ideas in the offing nothing quite as tubular as the 1980s um we're waiting to get our feedback from the visitors on this we're a very data-driven organization we like to see what our visitors like and don't like about our activities so we, it helps us plan for the future but whatever we do it will be on the theme of kipling it will connect back to a moment within our story within our story whether that's a person or a time period or a theme um that, that runs through our history i think it's very important to us that you can have christmas anywhere but you can only have a kipling christmas at kipling yeah i love it so um we asked you last time about your favorite historic place so we won't do that again but um uh I imagine someone in your position does a lot of reading about history and different things like that. So what are you reading right now, James? What what are you reading that you would recommend to folks listening? I, I was tempted to, to to research something and come up with something that made me seem very highbrow and uh, No, that's not but... necessary. We don't think the guy who's putting on the 70s Christmas is, is going to... I mean, who knows? Maybe you're reading an Elton John biography. I don't know. Uh, well, I'm... Um... I uh, most of what I read is uh, technical stuff from various you know museum and historic house organizations so really um when I read for pleasure it's uh, quite rare I do a lot of reading with my daughter uh, so we've just finished Roald Dahl's uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory um and we're moving on to the rest of his collection of uh, of work so it's a real good really enjoyable time to do something to you know to enjoy something I enjoyed as a kid with my, with my little girl. Well, I love that. That is, that is a, that is a perfect answer. Um, and a good reminder that, um, and Roald Dahl, I think maybe a seventies connection there, right? Like that's kind of a, a seven, you know, those, those came out in the sixties and seventies, I think. So you even, you even brought it back full circle somehow, even with your, your, uh, great answer about reading to your children. Um, so it's been so much fun to have you back. Hope to do it again soon. Um, and, uh, always, Interesting to hear what our friends across the pond at Kiplin Hall with your Maryland story are doing. Um, thanks so much for joining us and uh, Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas and enjoy your Thanksgiving as well. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to PreserveCast. 
To dig deeper into this episode's story, head over to preservecast.org for show notes and our collection of previous episodes. Don't forget to engage with this podcast by subscribing, commenting, and leaving a review. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PreserveCast for even more. PreserveCast is currently recorded in Walkersville, Maryland, and sponsored by the 1772 Foundation and powered by Preservation Maryland. Thanks for listening and keep on preserving.